0: Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. This teaching is from the series, Poems, Prayers, and Promises, a look at a variety of Psalms. The Psalms are the prayers of God's people, encouraging and teaching us how to pray in our day. We hope this helps you understand and apply God's Word in your life today. And we're going to be looking at Psalm 133 today. Psalm 133. It's going to be on the screen and it's there in your books. I'm using the New International Version and you can follow along and uh, encourage you, you can look along in your Bible uh, there as well. So Psalm 133, hear now the word of the sovereign Lord. How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robes. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Uh, A number of years ago, uh, sociologists and researchers started noting a trend that was happening in our culture. Uh, The the seminal book that kind of noted it was a book by a man named Robert Putnam, and he wrote a book called Bowling Alone. Bowling Alone, the collapse uh, uh, collapse and revival of American community. And you get the idea that when you're saying bowling alone, bowling, we normally think of you're in an alley and there's a lot of people around. It's not something you do, do on your own. But in fact, they were finding more and more people just kind of showed up at a random time and bowled by themselves. So he wrote that book in 2000. It was followed up uh, in 2012 uh, by a woman named Sherry Turkle who wrote a book called Alone Together, Why We Expect More from Technology and Less from Each Other. Because, of course, between 2000 and 2012, there had been an explosion of technology and the hope and the promise with things like social media and, and all this that we were going to become more connected. But what they were concerned with was it wasn't having the effect they had thought And then just uh, this past year, a woman named Susan Mattis wrote a book called The Loneliness Epidemic. And so despite the fact that in some ways we're more connected than ever, and those things can be good. I'm really grateful for my, uh, you know, having a smartphone and we can kind of, you know, Linda and I can text each other and, and check in, but it's not a replacement for community. And these, I just picked three books that are pretty well known, but there have actually been a whole range of studies saying, Why are Americans, in a time when it would seem like we have more things that could allow us to come together, we can travel farther, faster than we've ever been able to, we have, in fact, you know, we can do video conferencing, we can talk on the phone, and yet, in study after study, people seem to be more lonely than they've ever been before. And and it's a it's a question and a concern that we have. So it's clearly an issue in our culture right now. But the question is: Number one, is community actually important, or can it just yeah, it's just something I you know I don't I, I don't do anymore? I mean, it used to be that you know we rode in a horse and carriage. We don't do that anymore, and nobody's in crisis mode over it. Maybe community is a thing of the past. But if it is important, how do I find community? How is it built? And, you know, what would God teach us about it? So we're going to be looking at that in Psalm 133 today as we look at the blessed community of prayer. Now the first thing here is if you notice in verse 1, the NIV has how good and how pleasant it is when brothers uh, live together in unity. But actually the Hebrew begins with a word, and some of your other translations have it, uh, and it's behold how good it is. It's a Hebrew word, hene, that we oftentimes don't translate because... It really just means, hey, sit up, pay attention. I'm trying to grab your attention and fix it on something. And so the psalmist says, hey, I want you to pay attention to what I'm going to talk about here. Behold, uh, take notice of this. I'm going to explain to you something that is good and pleasant. And The uh, early Bible translator Jerome, when he was translating this and working on it, he made a comment. He said, you know, if you look around, there are very few things in life that are good and pleasant. There are things that are good, but they're not pleasant, and things that are pleasant, but they're not good. There's very few things that are both. And if you look in the Scripture, the Scripture actually says this. For example, in Hebrews chapter 12, the writer's talking about discipline in our lives, God's discipline of us as his children. He concludes by saying this in Hebrews 12:11: no discipline seems pleasant at the time but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. So notice the writer here is saying, look, discipline's not pleasant, but it is good. And we can think he's talking about being disciplined as a child, but we can think about many things in our life that are that way. When I was on sabbatical this summer, we spent a lot of time in Florida and Georgia, and I was trying to continue running, but it was so hot and so humid, I was getting up at 525 to do my runs. And one morning in Georgia, I got up and I ran, and it was already approaching 80 degrees on the real field. The sun was not even up, and it was 99% humidity. And here's a picture of me at the end of the run. (laughs) What are you all laughing at? That is neither good nor pleasant for you to look at. But if I throw that picture up and I ask you good or pleasant, nobody's going to say that that was pleasant, right? That was neither, right? And and it was not a pleasant run. It was not a pleasant run. And I assure you, there is a pool in the background. I was not in the pool. That was just all good old-fashioned sweat. It was a horrific run. And the only thing kept me going was knowing that, that as I was going through this, at the end, my wife was going to be there. And she was going to <laughs> greet me and hug me and kiss me and say, I am so proud of you for doing this. And so I continued through that run. And then my wife did not greet me that way. She, so y'all need to pray for her. <laughs> so no. So, I, you're doing this because it's not pleasant. But I believe there, there's some good going to come out of this later. There are many things in life that, in fact, are the opposite. They are pleasant, but they're not necessarily good. For example, the writer to Hebrews, again, in Hebrews chapter 11 talks about Moses, and in Hebrews 11:25, 25, he says this. He, Moses, chose to be mistreated, not pleasant, along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. Now let's be honest, why do we sin? Because all the way back in the garden, right? It, it, it looked good, It was God, all this good stuff's going to come out of it. Sin is pleasant for a short time, but it is not good. In fact, the scripture says that it leads to death. So the writer here is, is correct to say, hey, behold, Everybody pay attention to this. Here is something that is good and pleasant. And what that thing is that is good and pleasant is community. Notice what he says uh, at the end of verse 1, how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. So he's saying it is both good and it's pleasant. We do this. Now, you have to remember this psalm is in the group of 15 psalms that we call the Psalms of Ascent, they, they begin in the, in the title with the, the Psalms of Going Up is what it is literally. And it was because pilgrims from all over Israel are going up. One of the higher places in Israel is Mount Zion. And no matter where you're going from, you would go down into a valley and then you're going to come up to Mount Zion. So they called them Psalms of Ascent. And everybody would sing these together as you're working your way to Jerusalem for a festival where the community is going to worship together. They're anticipating the worship of Yahweh. And here you kind of get the picture that you're cresting the hill and you're seeing Mount Zion. You are seeing the temple and you start bursting out and saying it is so good. It is so pleasant. We're going to be dwelling together in unity. Some scholars think this may have even been during the Feast of Tabernacles where you built little booths and you did that. And so notice here that They are gathered for worship, but it's even more than that because he says they are living, they are dwelling in unity. And so what we're going to be kind of unpacking here today is is an idea that the Christian community begins in united worship, but it continues and it grows as it produces unity and mission in life. And the scripture says that is good and that is pleasant for us. So let's try and unpack a little bit here of how the writer shows us the blessed community. What he does is he actually gives us a couple of different metaphors, ways we can picture it. And he says, the first thing is, this community that I'm talking about is good and pleasant like a precious anointing oil. So notice in verse two, it's the first thing he turns to. He says, it's like precious oil poured onto the head running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robe. So he says it's this precious oil that is poured on the head. Now, that's not something we think of. I mean, I immediately think like, well, now i got to just wash my hair and get shampoo and get it out, right? But in their culture, oil was good. It is good and because, number one, they didn't get to take baths and showers all the time. It's hot, it's dry, it's dusty, and oil was used just to refresh people, to make things smell better. It was also used for medicine. Warriors would use it to rub it in when they were sore. You can see, for example, in Proverbs 27, verse 9, and I'm going to use the English Standard Version here because it's the same Hebrew word. The NIV translates it as uh, it with a different term, but it's oil and perfume make the heart glad and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. So notice what it's trying to get to is saying, hey, when you're in relationship with somebody, it's sweet like an oil, like a perfume. The same ideas in uh, Psalm 133 because this oil is used to soothe, to heal, to offer a pleasant smell. It It was something that made life better. You remember Jesus actually critiqued the Pharisee one time, said I came in and you didn't offer me an anointing. Of oil for my head. You, you remember when, um, it, right before Jesus' death, that the the alabaster jar is broken open and she anoints Jesus, and the smell permeates through the whole house. So we get this idea of this, and notice it's not a little oil here in Psalm 133 verse 2 notice what it is is it's so much oil that it says it's coming off of the head it's coming down you know onto the beard and then it's rolling off of the beard even down onto the collars this is this is not, you. if you were older, you remember there used to be a Brill Cream commercial, you know, a little dabble, do you, you know. We, we show things where it's just a little bit of something. This is the opposite of that. This is a lot of oil that is flowing down on them. And notice what he tells us then is it's not only just any oil, It's actually the oil put on Aaron. So he kind of is building the picture because the anointing oil that was put on Aaron was very special oil. We're told about it earlier in in the, the Pentateuch in the first five books. You can read about it there. But it was so special, God said, you can't use it for anything else. This is a specific formula, it's the best oil we've got, and you only use it when you're anointing Aaron and the high priest that come out of his line. So this is the most special and valuable oil of all, but again, it's not a small amount. It is an overflowing amount, and the writer is saying that is what community is like. It is like you are being anointed with the best, the most precious oil, and a large amount of this oil to heal, to soothe, to smell good, and it is all over you. So it is a picture of an abundance of good and pleasant blessing. The second analogy that he uses is he says this community is like, it's good and pleasant, like abundant dew in a dry land. So notice in verse 3, It's as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. Now, that probably doesn't mean a whole lot to you, but I'll explain why that's important and what it meant to the people there in Israel. You have to remember, Israel had come out of Egypt. And how does Egypt survive? I mean, Egypt's a desert. How do they grow things there? The Nile River overflows. So Egypt was the breadbasket of the world in the ancient world, but it is a very dry country. When I was in Cairo a few years ago, We got a little bit of rain one evening, I mean just a little bit, and the guy seemed excited, and we asked our believing friend, does it rain a lot here in Cairo? And he said, oh, sometimes a couple times a year. So we looked it up, nine-tenths of an inch per year, but it's green because of the Nile River. Egypt survives because it rains in Central Africa. doesn't matter if it rains in Egypt or not because it's by the flooding of the Nile. But when you're Israel and you go into the land, you do not live by the flooding of the Jordan. It doesn't really flood. How are you going to live? It's got to come down from heaven. If you don't get rain, if you don't get... Remember, that's why the, the God they struggled with was Baal, because he was the God of rain. That's why Elijah made a pronouncement. It will not rain for three years unless I say so. Because if you're in Israel you've got to have liquid coming out of the sky. Well in a land that is pretty dry the wettest place is Mount Hermon. Here's a picture of Mount Hermon. It's the highest spot in Israel. It's over 9,000 feet high and as you can see it is covered in snow pretty much year round because it's a very very wet place but of course it's also pretty remote And in the ancient world you didn't get up on top of a mountain like that because you would freeze to death pretty quick okay but they realize it's so wet but notice he says it's as if all the dew all the moisture that has come down to produce that what if all of that came down on mount zion now most of us have seen other pictures of jerusalem does it look like a wet lush green place it's dry Okay, it's dry. And so he's saying, but what if it came down? Linda and I, we just went through Zion National Park recently, which of course is named after Mount Zion. And it's stunningly beautiful, like when you see the pictures there around Jerusalem. Some stunningly beautiful things, but what it's not is wet. It's just not. I mean, just a small amount of rain there is a major blessing for them. And the writer here is saying, but see, when God's people live in unity, it's as if all of that dew that was falling on Mount Hermon that has to go down, and that's actually where the Jordan River comes from, it's like if all of that started falling on us in Mount Zion. And it's cool, and it's refreshing, and everything becomes green. That's blessing. And that blessing is when brothers and sisters live together in unity. And then the third thing that the writer wants us to see here is that it is good and pleasant because God commands a blessing. Notice in verse uh, 3, the, the verse ends with, for the NIV has, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Uh, that is the ESV underneath it, which I think is a better translation is, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing. The, the verb there, you may have heard of the phrase, you know, when a, when a young uh, Israeli child gets to a certain age, they go through a bar mitzvah or a bat mitzvah. Bar mitzvah means son of the commandment. Bat mitzvah is daughter of the commandment. This is the verb for mitzvah. To command. This is God's commandments. And so bestow, I think, is too light a word. What the writer is telling us, and, and this is the only verb in the entire psalm. There's no other verbs anywhere else. In English, to make it sound good, we've put other verbs in there, but there are no other verbs in the Hebrew. This is the only verb. It's behold how good and pleasant this is. Notice, they're living in unity. It's it's like this anointing oil on Aaron but it's just overflowing it's all the way down it's like the the dew of Hermon falling onto Mount Zion and when God sees this blessed community when God sees them together in unity he stands up off the throne and he commands blessing on that it's a strong picture God stands up and doesn't just blessing doesn't just happen God actually commands the blessing. And he is blessing his city, he is blessing his temple, he is blessing his people when they are living in unity. So notice real quickly, I want us to think of just three things about this blessing to to understand it. Number one, the blessing comes down from God to his people. So notice again as we look at this, it's like precious oil poured on the head running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robes. And then down in verse 3, it's like the dew falling. So we can all see that, that it is always from up high coming down. And in fact, all of those are the same Hebrew word. We kind of picture it in English because we don't normally say, you know, dew running down. We say dew falling and we don't say that, you know, it falls off of the, the beard on the cob. We say it's running down, but it's the same Hebrew word. The idea is that blessing is not something we create. It's not something we conjure. It's not something we storm heaven to get. Rather, it is God's gift that is given down to us. It comes down at the command of God. Now, that does not mean you and I don't have anything to do. But what we have to do is be where God commands the blessing. When the dew of Hermon falls in Zion, it does you no good if you're out at Megiddo. you got to be in Zion when the blessing comes down. But it comes from God to us, and it comes to us as we are as people worshiping and living in unity. So that's number one, it comes down. Number two, again, remember, it is abundant. I mentioned this briefly as we, we talk about it, but notice it's precious oil poured. It starts on the head, but there's so much it moves from the top of the head to where? The beard, and then there's so much it goes from the beard down onto the robe to the to the openings of the robe and it pours out it's so much oil it's dripping everywhere the dew of hermon as i said just a minute ago is so abundant that it actually goes down and feeds the jordan river that's where the jordan comes from this is abundance and what this is telling us is when god commands a blessing for his people it is supernaturally abundant so no obstacles are going to get in the way you may be in zion And it may be drought everywhere else, but if God commands a blessing, there is abundance and everything that is needed, nothing can prevent it from reaching God's people. And then the third thing uh, that comes out of this is the blessing of God is eternal. So notice at the end of verse 3, it's the only part we haven't covered. It's as if, the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows a really commands His blessing, even life forevermore. I will just say in passing, it I, I find this comical, along with other things, that some people say, "Well, way back in David's day, they didn't actually have any conception of eternal life, except for the Old Testament is full of conceptions of eternal life." And in fact, here the primary blessing that is spoken of is not. Temporal blessings, which is what our mind might run to. Oh, this means, you know, in their parlance, I get a new donkey to ride on. That's not what the primary blessing is. The blessing is life forevermore. Us gathering and worshiping God, surrounding God, and and God coming to us is a picture of what's going to happen forever. And so the primary blessing is actually eternal life. It is eternal. Now, Does God bless his people with temporal blessings? He does. In fact, he even blesses people who are not his people with temporal blessings. But this here is speaking of especially his blessing upon his people, and the biblical focus is on the blessing of eternal life. Because it doesn't matter what else I have in this life if I come to the end of life and I'm not in the presence of God. Because to be out of the presence of God is by definition to be out of blessing, and so uh, this is a key thing here. Doing and it reminds us and reorients our focus from temporal blessings that come and go, because they do. We get enough rain one year, we don't get enough rain the next. There's good times, there's bad times, but what does not change is the blessing of God that is eternal life, and. You can think through the passages where Jesus, for example, tells us in John chapter 4 that if we have heard his voice, we have already crossed from death to life. Eternal life is not something I'm waiting on, it's something that I experience now. It's going to eventually, the picture that Paul has is it's going to rise up out of me at the time of my death and swallow me into life. And that is the blessing that God gives. Now, How do we apply this? There's only one question, but I'm going to break it down several ways for us to kind of think through. And the question that that this psalm poses to us is this, am I where God commands the blessing? There is blessing. God will command the blessing. The blessing will come. I can't make it. The question is, am I where the blessing falls? And there's a, a couple of ways to look at that. And, you know, we, we want to ask ourselves because when we're saying, you know, for there God commands the blessing, that's what the psalm says, there it is. So the question is, where is there? H- how do I find where the blessing is? And there's uh, three things to say about that. Number one, the blessing is only found in who? In Jesus Okay? There is no blessing outside of Jesus Christ. So to, to be in the place of blessing is to be in Christ. I'm not going to take a lot of time on this this morning because I teach this regularly to us, but 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, for no matter how many promises God has made, so you find a promise anywhere in the Scripture, no matter how many God has made, they are yes in Christ. And what do we do? speak the amen. We say so be it. So when Psalm 133 says here is a promise. God commands a blessing. Paul says yep and that is in Jesus. And what do we do? Amen. So be it Lord. That's okay with me. If you want to bless me that's okay Lord. I'm giving you my permission. Bless me. Okay? That's more or less what Paul is saying there. We say amen and we do it to the glory of God. And so All of God's promises are yes in Christ and they're not yes anywhere else. No one has a claim upon Jesus Christ, I mean a claim upon the promises of God outside of Jesus Christ. There is no claim to the promises of God outside of Christ. Now, I'm not going to take the time this morning because I've dealt with a lot. I'm going to do it in after hours. This psalm very specifically points to Jesus as well. It's not just, well, we kind of know from the rest of the Bible that it's about Jesus. No, this psalm is very specifically about Jesus. When you're reading about the high priest being anointed, bells should be going off. The the high priest is Jesus. The, The anointing oil is the Holy Spirit, That's being poured out from the Messiah upon us. All of this is here in Psalm 133, but I'll talk about that in after hours because I've talked about it many times. But I do want to say very clearly as I try to pretty much every week, please understand this. I urge everyone to come to Jesus Christ to receive the abundant life God has for you now and in eternity. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He will try to take anything and everything to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Not, not a little bit, pouring off of you. That's what Christ has come to do. If you are here and you don't know him, I urge you, please come chat with me. I would, I would count it a privilege to be able to talk about that. And for the rest of us to realize, if you are in Christ, then God's covenant promises are for you. Now that leads to the second thing which are God's blessings, the there is when uh, are found in his people gathered for worship. This whole psalm is about worship. So notice, uh, I, I mentioned that it's an ascent psalm. That is the pilgrims, because unlike us today, see, we gather every week. If you lived in ancient Israel, how often did you get to gather with the people of God for worship? A few times a year. You got to remember at the time that this psalm was written that there weren't even synagogues. You didn't go down to a local synagogue. You waited for the festival and you packed the whole family up and you had to do a long pilgrimage. And and you didn't have a nice you know, Honda minivan like Linda and I got in this morning. You pushed the key. You got to walk. And it's a long trek. And that's why there's these songs of ascent because it's all about the pilgrims gathering for worship at the temple, which was a special event. So this whole psalm is saying, yay, God's people are getting together to worship. That's what it's about. But notice, secondly, in the psalm, the psalm speaks about that the blessing is like the high priest. Where does the high priest do his ministry? At the temple. And, and the high priest is there and, uh, at the temple as the people gather. So when you want the blessing from the priest, you go to the temple, and as you worship, that's where the blessing of God comes down. And actually, you know, it speaks about God commanding a blessing, but in the Old Testament, who did God command the blessing through? Aaron, you and your sons, here's what you're to do. You're to gather the people, and you're to say, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you. Remember, that's, the, that's the blessing that they were to speak over the people. But they did. Aaron did not show up at your front door and do that. It didn't work that way. If you wanted the blessing, where did you go? You went to the temple where the people were gathered for worship and the high priest was there and God spoke his blessing through the high priest upon you. And so there is a thing here that we need to understand that there is a blessing that comes from gathering with God's people for worship as the Spirit works among us. And we are strengthened through corporate worship, prayer, fellowship, the word, the, the coming to the Lord's table, all of that brings the blessing of God. And it does not exist in the same way outside of the gathering of God's people. And some people might get upset at saying that, but it's a fact. Okay. I love being in nature. I loved when we were out there in Utah hiking around. It is not the same. I can hike in Zion National Park until the day I die, that is not where God commands the blessing. And if someone thinks that it is, they're simply wrong. The scripture is clear. That is not where the blessing is commanded. It's commanded as we gather together. And when we conclude the meeting, as we do every week, and there's a benediction spoken, it has nothing to do with the person who's up front saying it. That they They're really inconsequential, okay? I remind you, when God needed to speak to Balaam, who did he speak through? That's a a comforting thought to me, okay? It's a low bar. It's a very low bar, okay? But God does speak a blessing. When we do that in a few moments, I mean, look, do we believe the word of God? Do we believe that God is standing up and saying, I am commanding a blessing on my people? But make no mistake, that means we have to be there. We have to be gathered together. And what that means, this is not about legalism. But if I told you, hey, you know, if, if the blessing you wanted was a million dollars, at, at Navy Marine Corps Memorial Stadium at 2 this afternoon, there's a guy standing out there, and if you're there, he's giving away a million dollars. Let's be honest. How many of us would be there? We'd be like, hey, man, church has continued. Here we are, right? I would not not be there. And just say, ah, oh, you know, well, I'm going home and making myself a PBJ. No, I would be there. Okay? Well, here is there every week. And it's not a temporal blessing because that million dollars will go away. It's an eternal blessing. So it's it's silly of me to say, no, I'm gonna do something else. No, I want to gather with God's people, not out of legalism, not that I'm gonna lose my salvation, out of I want the blessing of God. And so I gather with God's people. Gather with your brothers and sisters worship. It's where God commands the blessing. But notice the psalm doesn't really leave it there, even though the whole context is about the gathered people. The third thing is God's blessings are found by walking in unity with his people in sharing life. So the whole psalm is we're going for corporate worship, we're going to the temple, the priest is going to be there, all this is going to happen. But notice it says that... uh, how good and pleasant it is when brothers do what? Live together in unity. It's not just, it doesn't say worship together, and, and the word is very clear. It's the word for live, to dwell together, not just worship together. So it's more than just worship. And we actually see this in the early church. Luke in Acts, uh, chapter 2, basically this is almost saying Psalm 133. Here it is in a picture for you. It says, Speaking of the early church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Somebody explain, what is that he's talking about? That's this. This is a church gathering. That's what they're doing. There's apostles' teaching is the the teaching of the scripture, fellowship, breaking of bread is the Lord's table, and prayer. This was their weekly gathering in the early church. And notice what he goes on and says, Everyone is filled with awe. Many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. But he goes on, all the believers were together and they had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. So notice, this isn't just a corporate worship gathering and hey, see you a week from now. No, we are living together in such a way that that needs are being met. When somebody is struggling, the rest of the church is gathered around them. They are living together. And Luke brings this out specifically in verse 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, this is public worship, and they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is a blessed community. They gather in worship, and then they are living life together. They are sharing life together. They are walking to Together. And so there is this public, you know, large gatherings, there are small gatherings, and there is living life together. Because corporate worship and prayer has a symbiotic relationship with community. You know, symbiosis is these things that feed into each other. It's like a loop that feeds back into itself. Corporate worship and prayer fosters and fuels community, and it's also reinforced by community. When we gathered with other churches this summer when we were on sabbatical, I enjoyed it, but it was not the same as being here. It was not the same as being here with my family, with, with the people that I'm called to walk out. So there is, this, there is this feedback loop, as it were, that we gather for worship together and God commands a blessing. And the blessed community lives with one another and we are encouraging each other and and sharing each other's joys and burdens throughout the week, which is more blessing. And that fuels us back into worship where God commands a blessing again, which fuels even more community. That is what the Christian life is called to be like. So, the simple question, am I living in unity with God's people? Because the thing we have to realize is the picture the psalmist tells us is this is good and pleasant. But if you've been in relationships with another human being for more than like five minutes, you may realize it's not always good and pleasant getting there, is it? There, there's challenges. There are challenges in marriage. There are challenges in family. There are challenges in close friendships, in church. Everywhere there's challenges. And there's particularly challenges because we're all different than one another. Is that true? But see, here's the good news. I, I showed the fulfillment of Psalm 133 is there in Acts chapter 2. But the reality is we know those people that were that community in Acts chapter 2, they did not all have the same politics. There were zealots. What did the zealots think blessing consisted of? Getting, destroying Rome getting rid of Rome there were tax collectors who did they work for Rome and how do I know that they're both there in Acts chapter 2 because Jesus when he picked 12 people picked a zealot and a tax collector had to be pretty funny around the campfire sometimes because till Jesus called him Simon pretty much wanted to kill Matthew that's reality But see, what they had discovered is I'm more committed to Jesus than I am that other stuff. Everything fades and falls apart. The the blessed community, uh, the blessed community that is is so unified here is blessed uh, across political, social, economic, ethnic, sex, every other distinction that can be made there. That's why Paul says, look in Christ. It's not male and female, it's not Jew and Gentile to the Colossians he adds, it's not you know Scythian, it's not slave or free, it doesn't matter whether you're the most cultured Roman or you're what the Romans call a barbarian, none of that matters. There is only Christ and he is everything. Okay and that's what we learn as a community and let me say one of the blessings we can have is being an example to a broken world because everybody out there is breaking into little huddles and we only want to be with those who are like me. And can I tell you, you're not that interesting, nor am I. We need people who are different than us. One, one of the great joys, I, I, I am so blessed to have my wife, even if she wouldn't hug me after the run. I am so blessed to have her. But part of the marvel is she does see life differently than I do. She notices, yes, it's true. <laughs> Yes, it's true. Um, she notices things I wouldn't notice. She, she sees life in a different way. And if we can get past saying, I, but I want you to see it the way I see it, there is huge blessing. Because I remind you, we, we sang it this morning in, in our final song there, and all the creeds are based on this. Who is our God? The Holy Trinity, Father, Son, Spirit, unity, diversity, diversity, unity. That is blessing. And so Jesus says, look, I want you to gather, and and he purposely is trying to call us together because then that shows his real blessing. We don't have to agree on everything else. We believe that Jesus is Lord. So what we'll do as we get ready to come to the tables, I want to encourage you as you're heading into this fall, You know, I'm sure all of you, is everybody ready for fall? I mean, you know, we got that cruel early taste like 10 days ago, you know, and then it was back over the last couple of days, and I'm like, I'm so done with summer. I'm ready for fall. I I wanna wake up and the air's crisp in the morning. I don't look like that after my runs, Uh, you know, life's better that way. I'm looking forward to it. Well, I wanna encourage as we're heading into that, make this a priority. Make it a priority to say, when I wake up on Sunday, God's dispensing blessing. Do I want to be there? Yes, I do want to be there. And I'm going to get there. I'm going to be part of that. I'm going to make it a priority. I want to encourage you when you do it, part of the blessing is come early, stay late. Make that your motto. Come early, stay late. Enjoy being with one another because it's not just the corporate worship, it's the relationships. It's the extension. Hang out with other folks, get in a connect group, and also just hang out, invite somebody over for dinner, go out to a park. Last night we had the blessing of, uh, we actually had about 25 people hanging out in our backyard last night as we had the the Spanish language group there, laughing at Linda and I as we're trying to learn Spanish. And we were trying to do things, yeah, what, yeah, no, no, no. what what a blessed time. And I was sitting there thinking as we were spending time with one another as we were just enjoying being with one another. It was so good and I was thinking and this is exactly what I'm talking about tomorrow morning. This is it. Just being with one another. Invite somebody. Go to a park and hang out afterwards. Go to the zoo together. Go to a ball game together. But experience community. Friends, we don't want to be alone together. Don't go bowling alone. You want to go bowling, invite somebody to go. Probably not me, but invite somebody to go. Be with you to hang out and and enjoy doing that. Uh, Because as you do, you will sense God's blessing on you. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to come to the Lord's table. And um, as we're doing so this morning, I want to encourage you um, that... To to hear God's word, this is, you know, one of the titles. Last week we looked at the fact that this was the Eucharist table, Thanksgiving and blessing. What do we most often refer to this table? Communion. What does that very word refer to? Yeah, being together. And it's not only that we are together with the Lord, it means we are together with one another. And so hear the words of the Apostle Paul regarding this table. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation, that word is actually fellowship, a koinonia, uh, in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body for we all partake of the one loaf. The, Paul's building an analogy and a metaphor here and saying, see, this is a picture of our own unity, not only with God the Father, but our unity with one another. And it's what we do every time we come to this table. And so we want to let everyone know you don't have to be a member of our congregation to partake in the Lord's Supper. You do need to be a a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, all of God's blessings, the blessing of what he's doing here is only for those who are in Christ. But if you are in Christ, if you believe in him, if you have been born again through the Holy Spirit and therefore you are not united with God, but you are also united with his people. If that is who you are, then you are welcome to this table. So brothers and sisters, what I receive from the Lord, I pass on to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood, which is poured out so that your sins may be forgiven. Drink from this, all of you, in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death. Until he comes. Spirit of the living God, we cry out to you now that you would come to us and meet us in this sacrament that we might behold uh, our Lord Jesus and that we might be strengthened by the grace of God. Brothers and sisters, if you can go ahead and take the bread out of the cup. Holy Trinity, you are perfect unity and diversity and perfect diversity and unity. And you made us in your image so that we too might experience and display perfect diversity and unity, the blessed community. But we confess that we turn from you. And our sin always creates a division between us and you, and also between us and our fellow human beings as well. But Lord God, you promised salvation through the coming seed of the woman who would defeat Satan, reconcile us to you, and break down the wall of division uh, that existed between us and restore your original purposes and plan. And Father, in taking this bread, we confess that you have done all of this Through Jesus Christ, whose body was broken so that all of our brokenness might be healed. We take this bread in faith, trusting in the work of Jesus alone and giving you thanks for all he has done. Brothers and sisters, take and eat. Lord Jesus, you are our great high priest. You are the fulfillment of all the types and shadows of the Old Testament priesthood. But your priesthood, the reality of your priesthood, is so much greater than the shadows of the priesthood of Aaron, surpassing it in every way. You did not offer the blood of bulls and goats, but rather you offered yourself, the sinless, spotless, holy, blameless, Lamb of God. And when you did that, you atoned for our sins once and for all. And Lord, you are now exalted on high and you have poured out the Holy Spirit upon your people, giving us all the covenant blessings of God now and in eternity. And so Lord, we give you thanks for your blood through which we come boldly to this table to receive grace and strength for our hour of need. Brothers and sisters, take and drink. Let's stand together and we will conclude with a short prayer and then a benediction where we can receive the blessing of God. Lord, just as this broken bread was scattered upon the mountains and was gathered to become one, and as many grapes are pressed to fill a cup, Lord, we pray that in this way you would make us to be the one body of Christ. Lord, we have come to this table today as your united, gathered people, and we pray that you would anoint us with The Holy Spirit Lord I pray that you would pour your spirit out upon us now until he drenches us like the oil did on Aaron Lord we pray that you would be holding us worshiping and dwelling in unity Lord we pray you would stand and you would command your blessing upon us as you have promised And Lord, we ask that you would then send us forth so that we might be channels of blessing everywhere we go. Lord, we ask all of this in the name of our Lord Jesus, our great high priest in whom we are united and blessed. And if you agree, say amen. I encourage you now to receive the blessing of God as I speak, the blessing God told Aaron to give to the people. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. You are blessed. Go forth and be a blessing. Amen. See everybody later this week. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.